Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Whether you are moving to the area, whether you are family of family, whether you are visiting from town on holidays or uh, a friend of the house or a neighbour, whatever brings you here this morning, it's great to have you in our home. Things are a little bit different uh, at the moment, just uh, obviously public holidays and summertime's always uh, tends to be a little bit different. Uh, just a bit of a heads up, we'd normally have our cafe kitchen open after service today, but we won't be doing that for this week or next, but we'll be opening that again for when Barry and Vanessa Chant are with us in two weeks' time. How many of you, well, most of our church family would know Barry and Vanessa, legends in the charismatic church in Australia, and they'll be with us again uh, in a couple of weeks' time, which I'm uh, quite looking forward to. So, Happy New Year uh, to you all. We, um, and my name's Chad. Hi, Hi Chad. And yes, I'm wearing sockets today, um, since you asked. Yes, it was all on your mind, obviously. Um, I have the great privilege of sharing something from God's Word today. And that's a great privilege for me and a joy for me. And so uh, we're going to enjoy that together. We closed out last year, which wasn't all that long ago. It makes it sound longer ago when you say it like that. We closed out last year doing a nine-week Bible series on the theme of good news and uh, good news of great joy for all people. For my part in that, I think I had four sessions out of that nine, and I focused my attention on the book of Acts and uh, the sermons that are delivered through the book of Acts. We call the book of Acts the book of Acts because there's a lot of activity from the early church, a lot of activity from Jesus through the early church, if you like, uh, but there's also a lot of announcements through that book. There's at least 25% of that book includes sermons, messages, speeches that are delivered, and so... In my sessions, I uh, spoke from messages from Peter and Stephen and James and Paul. And that was a big struggle for me, choosing the message from Paul to speak from, because he has about eight or nine messages in the book of Acts. And I chose the one from Athens in Acts chapter 17, but it meant I left a lot of good bits out. And so as an bit of addendum to last, our last series, not an extension, an addendum, there's something different, uh, I've decided to go for one more of Paul's messages in the book of Acts and Acts chapter 20. Uh, there'll be a, a, a sigh in the room when I share the other reason why I've chosen Acts 20 later. But, uh, but I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 20 in uh, something that's a little bit different for a brand new New Year's Eve service. I'm going to be looking at Paul's farewell speech. Okay, so that might seem a little bit weird to start the year with a goodbye. But uh, we're going to start the year looking at a speech of Paul when he's travelling on one of his uh, ministry journeys. He has set in his heart that he wants to go to Jerusalem because as a Jewish man, he wants to be in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost that he tried to do every year. So he's heading to Jerusalem and then after that he wants to ultimately get to Rome. This is his big dream to end up in the capital city of the known world at the time. And so he's on his way there, but he decides, listen, I need to avoid going to a place called Ephesus because so many people know me there. If I go there, I'm just going to get caught up with everyone having to have cups of tea all the time, right? So he decides, listen, I need to avoid Ephesus, but I do need to speak to the leaders there. 
because I've spent three years effectively pastoring that church and I'm passing through without saying hello. I want to make sure I get to speak with the leaders of the church. And so that's what we're reading. It's the only sermon in the book of Acts that is directed at a Christian audience. It's holy and solely. It's Paul calling the leaders of the Ephesian church to him in Acts 20 and we're going to have a look at that this morning together. Okay? That's why I'm sitting down, nice and relaxed, like you are, I hope, and uh, we're going to have a look at that together uh, from uh, verse 17. Paul travelling, and he rocks up to a place called Miletus. Here we go. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church there. When they arrived, probably a couple of days later, it was like a 50k journey, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time that I was with you. From the very first day, I came into the region of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. As we read this, what you're gonna, we're going to pick up is a lot of Paul's character qualities. Uh, he mentions a few of them here already. He's saying, listen, when I was with you, you know how I lived. I lived a transparent life. I was transparent with you. Um, you know how I lived from the very first day till I left, three years later. He was consistent with them. Consistency is a great quality, an attribute, essential for, for good leaders. He said, when I was with you, I served the Lord and I did so with emotion. I did so with perseverance because I had a lot of challenges as I was doing that. And so these are a lot of the qualities. If you walk through this, you'll find a lot of them uh, as he kind of doesn't plead his case, but he just reminds them, listen, before I tell you what I'm about to tell you, you know who I am. You know who's speaking to you here. Verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you, but have taught you both publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Might be a bit subtle, but there's a number of couplets in this bit here. Paul was quite a well-balanced leader. One of the things that made him quite effective is that he had quite good balance in his life. And he's able to say, listen, I just didn't speak to Jewish people, I spoke to Gentiles as well. I didn't just preach, I also taught. Okay, two different things. I didn't just speak publicly, I also spoke face-to-face, house-to-house with people i didn't just preach repentance i preached faith i didn't just didn't proclaim god the father i spoke about jesus okay these things aren't opposites but uh one thing ugh, i really hope uh, returns to our culture quick smart is that we all understand you can be a both and person okay you don't have to be either or there's a lot of um people would be very interested in and splitting us into you're either that or you're that. Well, Paul managed to be quite balanced in different things. And uh, while he was quite firm on things, he also was a guy who, yeah, I do that and I do that. Uh, I believe that and I believe that. Uh, I give my time to that and I give my time to that. And that's kind of as he's reminding them of his leadership style. Uh, he mentions those things. Verse 22, this is where he's, he's getting with them. But now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city I go to, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, at the end of the day, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only my aim is to finish the race and to complete the task that the Lord Jesus 
has given me. He has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. The gospel of God's grace. Now there's a little bit of extra context here. If you read the previous chapter, you'll know that Paul, in chapter 19, God had spoken to him and had set his heart on going to Jerusalem. He, as it says in this verse, was compelled. Some of your older translations says, I'm bound. Some Bibles say, I'm shackled. Okay? He was literally had to go to Jerusalem. I've decided in my heart, I know God's in this, and I really have to go, even though I don't know what's going to happen. Okay? He was absolutely convinced that he had to go, but very uncertain on the details. It's a little bit different to what he said to the Corinthians when he says, I'll come to you if it's God's will. You know the whole Lord willing, the whole Lord willing thing, like James sort of says? You know, sometimes you should just say, that's my intention, Lord willing. A very different tone here. He's like, I'm going to Jerusalem. I really am going to Jerusalem, but I don't know quite what it's all going to look like. And this whole word where he says, I'm compelled, literally means bound. It's used about prisoners when they, they bound them. It's like he's admitting here, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I have said yes to Jesus. He has told me to do something. And so that's what I'm doing, even though I'm unclear about what was happening. But one thing that Paul was really clear on was his life's mission. And his life's mission was to testify to the gospel of God's grace. The gospel of grace. There's many uh, different titles given to what the gospel of Jesus is. Sometimes it's called the gospel of Jesus, okay? But this one is one of my favourites. The gospel of grace. My life, he says, is worth nothing to me because ultimately I have one calling and it's to testify to God's undeserved love and kindness and empowering for his people. I have that calling and hell, come hell or high water or prison or hardships, okay, nakedness and sword, all those things in Romans 8, I have a job to testify to God's grace. Verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. And therefore I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. Strange phrase. For I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. It's very, there's a number of farewell speeches in the Bible. Um, you can read Jacob's and Joseph's at the end of Genesis. Um, Moses does one when he's about to die. Joshua does, when, does one when he sort of says, look, my job here is done. And this is one thing they often say. Well, I've conducted myself with a clear conscience. Um, that's a really important thing for Paul as he's saying farewell here. But he knows as he's saying this, Part of the reason I have a clear conscience is because I'm not hesitated to proclaim the whole truth to you. How many of you know you can be a new covenant believer but an all-Bible person? Come on. Come on. We can say we want to be a New Testament church but we are an all-Bible people. And Paul was very happy to say, I proclaim to you the whole will of God, even the stuff I didn't like. Okay? Even stuff that you know, maybe I wasn't that familiar with, I proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. Then verse 28 he says, Keep watch over yourself and over all the flock of which Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. This to me is a power pack sentence. He's, number one, he's speaking to elders, the elders in Ephesus, that he now calls overseers and he tells them to pastor. Biblically speaking, when it comes to uh, uh, elders, pastors and bishops or overseers, it's all one and the same thing. 
And Paul brings that together here in this verse. But the most powerful thing for me here is when he says, listen, keep watch over yourselves and the flock because after all, it is God's church. You know one of the things I hate as a pastor? That got your attention, didn't it? When I hear people say, I go to Chad's church. No. God has a church. This is God's church. And he paid for his church with his own blood. I thought it was the blood of Jesus, Chad. No, no, no. God's church with his blood. God paid for his church. You wonder now, Paul realised years later what Jesus meant when he encountered him on the Damascus Road and Paul is persecuting Christians. Paul is hurting the church and Jesus said, why are you touching me? Remember that? He encountered Paul and said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul had every right then on the road to Damascus to say, I don't even know who you are. He actually said that. He said, who are you, Lord? You know, I wasn't persecuting you. I don't even know who you are. And Jesus was saying, listen, you touch my bride, you touch me. Because this is God's church. They are God's people you're dealing with. And this is something quite sobering about the responsibility that especially leaders have, but all of us to understand that when we speak about God's people, we are speaking about God's people. When we treat, or the way we treat, or the way we handle God's people, we are dealing with people that God has purchased with his own blood. Amen. This is too serious for New Year's, isn't it? I'll get to something encouraging later. We're getting there. We're just expositing the scripture right now. Uh, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. By the way, that's how valuable you are. You've been bought with God's blood. That's how valuable you are, because you are that church. I know, he said, that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. Men will arise and distort truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Paul understood as a shepherd he had a protective heart. Um, the, the protection of the people that he looked after was important, but it does interest me that it's not the first thing he says and it's not the last thing he says. Safety should not be first. Flew to Queensland a few months ago, get on the airplane. And the first announcement is, your safety is the most important thing to us. I'm like, no, it's not. The most important thing to you is flying planes <laughs> and making money for your shareholders. If safety of people was the most important thing, you would never put people miles in the air, fly them thousands of miles over oceans in big lumps of steel. You'd never do that if safety was the most important thing to you. Safety's not the most... I mean, Woolies, shopping, hear the voice come on. Your safety is... My, my, safety, your, my safety's not the most important thing to you. Selling products is the most important thing to you. Safety's not first. It's like third or fourth, okay? It's there. It's important. Protection is important. But if you always say safety first, safety first, safety first, what you're really saying is danger, 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 danger everywhere. These were sheep he was talking to, and so there were such a thing as savage wolves. But Paul also knew that as he's talking with sheep who are created in the image of God, not only is Jesus a lion and a lamb, but so are those created in his image. 
Yes, one of the images of a Christian like Jesus may be that we're sheep and so there are vulnerabilities and so protection of issues may be important. But you know what? You're also a lion. And you know, if there is a wolf attacking a sheep, you can become a lion and scare the heck that thing away. You're much bigger than that thing. So protection was on Paul's heart. I've warned you, there are things that will come to get you. But it's actually not the first thing he says, and it's not the last thing he says, although it is on the list. Now, verse 32. I commit you to God, because I'm finishing my delivery now. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, because it is that word which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who is holy, sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver, gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these very hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything that I have done, I showed you that it is by hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept and embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement they would never see him again. They accompanied him to his ship. And then Paul gets on a boat, as you keep reading, and he makes his way to Jerusalem. But I want to circle back and just focus our attention on one verse. Acts 20, 22. Acts 20, 22. 20, see... You saw that coming, didn't you? That's, that's like, of all the bad pastor's jokes, that's got to be it. Today, Acts 2022. 20, Here we go. 2022. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Paul here in this one statement, 2022, says, I am absolutely certain that God sent me to Jerusalem. I'm bound to go. I must go. I had a choice, but then God spoke to me, and now I don't have a choice. i got to go. I'm clear that that is where I am headed. But at the end of the day, I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> I must go. I am certain of that. I'm certain. But if you ask me about the details, I'm a little bit unclear. My friends, for 2022, it is okay to be absolutely certain and utterly unsure, all at the same time. As we start a new year, as we look forward into another new year, it is okay to be certain and unsure. Acts 2022. <laughs> but the key is knowing what you can be certain about. And knowing that it's okay on certain things to be unsure. There are many heroic qualities here of the Apostle Paul as he shares this speech with the Ephesian elders. We saw him as an honest man, authentic. He was humble. He was others-focused. He was committed to the full message of Scripture while still understanding the focus that he had was to testify to God's grace. You can be an all-Bible person, but understand some aspects are still more important than others. Paul exemplified that in his ministry. He was a man of integrity and honesty and vulnerability. He was a realist, yet optimistic in his outlook. Paul knew that savage wolves would come. He knew that troubles were on his way. Why? Because he wasn't an idealist. He wasn't a tiptoe through the tulips type of preacher. He wasn't a life is just beer and Skittles, which I think is a disgusting combination. I don't know where that saying comes from because that is a pretty gross... It must come from America. 
Life isn't just beer and Skittles. He was a hard uh, worker, but for all the qualities of that speech from Paul in Acts 20, this is the one thing I want to focus on today. When it came to what lied ahead of him, Paul was able to hold in healthy, healthy tension the reality of being absolutely sure, absolutely certain, and utterly unsure, both at the same time. And some of you know what that's like. I'm really sure, but I'm a bit sketchy on the details. Jay mentioned Noah before, absolutely convinced that God had called him to build a boat. Unsure that when the rain would come, the duration of the thing and possibly even the extent of that situation. Abraham, absolutely sure that God had called him to a promised land, but the book of Hebrews says he wasn't really sure at all about where that even was or what that even looked like. Sarah, Abraham's wife, was absolutely certain that God had called Abraham to have a son. But wasn't that sure whether it was even going to come from her womb or somebody else's? Joseph, absolutely certain that God had said, one day your brothers, you will be a leader to your brothers. They're going to bow down to you, even mum and dad. He was certain of that. Two dreams confirmed that. He was absolutely certain. But Joseph was clueless when it came to the path that would get him there. The pits, the prisons, the palace, back to the prison, back to the palace, all the process that would eventually realise what he was certain about years earlier. Moses was certain that God had called him to deliver his people. Let my people go that they may worship me. He knew 40 years before the burning bush, he had a stirring in his spirit to know God had called me to deliver my people, but he was absolutely clueless as to what that journey would look like and even the response of the people to him over and over and over again was nothing that was on his radar. Joshua, certain that God had called him to move God's people into the promised land, but unsure what that looked like city by city, by city and the land that was ahead and exactly what that would look like, he didn't know. Over and again, the history of God's people, both here in the Bible and beyond, and you testified to it in this room, tells the story of men and women that are absolutely certain on some things and unclear on others. Certain on the basics and a bit sketchy on the details. Clear sometimes on the what. Sometimes a little unsure as to even the why. I know that's what I'm doing, but why or exactly how or who may be involved in that? I don't know. I'm certain on some things, but other things are a little unclear. And that's what makes it necessary for us to be a people of faith. Because faith, Hebrews says, is about knowing. It's about being absolutely certain of the things we hope for. That's what Hebrews 11 says. Faith is being confident. And yet there's no need to have faith unless there's a few things that at this stage remain unsure. And as we approach 22, I think there's wisdom in us being willing to accept and appreciate and embracing something of this tension. There are some things of which we can be certain. Yeah, There are some things on which we must be certain. There are some things on which we should be certain. And yet there will be things which remain at this point unsure and unclear. 
And accepting this, acknowledging this, appreciating the difference and the necessity of holding these two things in tension is the first essential step in us journeying through another year and another season, both with you personally, in your family, some of your relationships. Definitely clear on things. A little unsure about what that's going to look like. Some of us in our business, we're clear on certain things, but boy, oh boy, I really don't know what's next around the corner. Acknowledging these things as we approach the year ahead, I just want to say permission granted. Permission granted to say, I'm really certain, but I'm also unsure. And that's okay. That's okay. 2022, I'm absolutely certain, and yet I'm unsure. And that is my encouragement to you this morning. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. And yet we also know Chad's sermon would not be complete without an acronym. So here we go. Here's some practical advice from the Apostle Paul on leaning into the unknown. Leaning in to the unknown. Philippians 3, when Paul's in prison, after this journey, he goes to Jerusalem and guess what? The poo hits the fan and he gets in trouble. Okay? And he ends up being arrested and going through different trials and troubles and he ends up in prison. One of those, uh, in prison, in, while he's in prison, he writes this letter to the Philippians and he says this in chapter 3. I admit... Oh, sorry, my first point is this. We need to appropriate an advancing attitude. The first, letting, the first lesson from Paul is even though I'm uncertain or unsure about certain things, I am sure that I'm in control of my attitude. Your attitude is your attitude. And you've got about 10 of them in your belt, so choose the one that's going to help you the most. In this case... When you're unsure, when you're certain, but unsure, appropriate an attitude of advancing. Appropriate an attitude that says, you know what? Even though I'm unsure, I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep moving on. I'm going to keep soldiering on. I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep pressing on. Some of you have done a lot of that this year. With job uncertainty, with family uncertainty, with certain relational uncertainty, you've took the attitude that said, you know what? This too shall pass. I'm going to just keep going. I'm going to keep going. Paul had that attitude. He talks about it in Philippians 3. I admit that I haven't yet acquired, he says, the absolute fullness of the things I'm pursuing. But what I do is I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me to make his own. I reach with passion. I run forward into God's abundance with passion. That is an attitude shift. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have a compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. Again, that's an attitude issue. I fasten my heart to advancing. I fasten my heart to the future. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching a heavenly goal and gaining a victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all who are fully mature have this same passion. Let all who are fully mature have what passion? A passion that says, I'm going to keep moving forward. You know, it is a mature thing, a sign of maturity to say, I'm going to keep going. And if you don't quite have that attitude yet, God will reveal it to them. 
I love that. Paul's very gracious. He's saying, you know, one of the most mature things you could do when you're certain on something, but you're also unsure, keep moving forward. Keep your passion. Keep moving forward into that future. Keep that attitude. And if you're not quite there yet, you'll get there. God will work on you because that's what maturity looks like. God will reveal it to those who don't quite, aren't quite there yet. And let us all, he says, advance together to reach the victory prize following one path with passion. Following one path with passion. Paul wrote these words in prison and yet even surrounded by that uh, situation, he still had an advancing attitude. How can we approach a new year being certain of some things, but unsure on others? Appropriate and advancing attitude. So yeah, yeah, I know I'm unsure, but I also know that he always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and my attitude is I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep moving forward. A, appropriate and advancing attitude. B, believe the best. Believe the best is yet to come. An attitude just said, I'm going to go this way. Okay? A belief says, no, 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 I know. In my uncertainty, unsurety, I know certain things. And I'm going to believe the things that I know. And in my uncertainty, you know one of the things I know, Paul says in Romans 8, 28? All things. All things. When I'm certain or when I'm unsure... All things that are happening to me, when I know I need to go to Jerusalem, but I really don't know what it's going to look like, I know, this is what I do know, I believe that all those things that happen will work for my good. And so therefore, the best is yet to come. It works for the good of those who love God. He says, I'm convinced of this. I'd like to encourage you. I'd like to encourage me. Believe that today. Have an attitude that says I'm going to keep moving forward but then grounded in a belief that even when I admit things are unsure, this is what I know. God will work things together for good. And therefore, I believe the best is yet to come. Amen? There's a difference between innocence and naivety. We are not to be naive. We are to... Mature people admit that there are challenges and troubles and trials ahead. Okay? We, we admit that. But an innocent person, an innocent heart says, but I know God's got it. And I know the best is yet to come. And Paul was like that in his life. I love that of him. And the best place to be, even when we're unsure, is knowing that with a clear conscience, we are following the certainty of what we know God has said. Believe the best is yet to come. A, B, what's next? Oh, come on, Chad, you're so predictable. C, cooperate with the process. Cooperate with the process. As you continue to read... Paul's story, he knows he wants to go to Jerusalem. He knows he wants to go to Rome. But he had no idea that to get there would involve shipwrecks and imprisonments and trumped up charges and, and running away from those who would accuse him. He ultimately would see the emperor, probably Emperor Nero, we believe. Ultimately, or at least he appealed to him, ultimately would do that. But he had no idea of the path that would take him there. There's a great proverb, Proverbs 16, 9. It says that we can make our plans. Paul, I want to go to Jerusalem. But at times, it is the steps that get us there, well, the Lord has them in mind. And many of you know that. I think it's, can we do have that? Proverbs 16, 9. The Lord, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. When you are clear, and as you are leaning into the things that you're unsure about, be sure of this. God has a process. And cooperate 
with that process, even when we don't fully understand it. God has your steps determined. A, B, C, D. Okay, that's, that's A, B, C, D. Yeah. yeah, it's four points today. I'd surprise you all. Leaning into uncertainty. Discern distractions. Discern distractions. As we keep reading in chapter 21, this is really interesting. The Bible nerds here, you're going to like this and then we'll, we'll turn off. Soon after he speaks to these Ephesian elders, he starts on his boat and he goes from place to place. And the next couple of places he goes to, there are Christians there who say to him, don't do it, Paul. Stop it. You're missing the boat. By getting on the boat, you're missing the boat. The first place he comes to, uh, where am I going to read here from verse 4? He lands at a place called Tyre. And it says, We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. <gasps> but when it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. Isn't that interesting? Through the Spirit, they said, Paul, please don't continue down this path. Well, he does. And he keeps going on to a, uh, another city. In verse 10, uh, he arrives at Caesarea. And a prophet is there called Agabus. Okay, he's a well-known prophet. And he comes up to Paul in uh, verse 10. And he says, After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet called Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. He took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. This was a prophetic act to show, Paul, you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound and shackled. When we heard this and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem, and Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. A lot of ink has been spilt over how you can have a prophecy and how you can have it saying, in the spirit, they urged Paul not to go. And yet, Paul continued to go. Was someone right and someone wrong? Or was this a misappropriation of something the Holy Spirit was saying? Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit can show us something Maybe uh, some people talk about the difference between a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. A word of knowledge is where you know something that you would otherwise not know. A word of wisdom is knowing what to do about it. So maybe, this is, what, this is where I lean, the Holy Spirit was showing them that, that there would be a challenging time ahead for Paul. But they then misappropriated the application of that to say, therefore, don't go. Okay? So possibly that is what is going on here. The issue is, Paul was convinced I know there's uncertainties. And now I'm having it confirmed by two or three witnesses. I know there are uncertainties ahead. I know there's things I'm unsure about. And I know that at times it doesn't entirely make sense. I too am unsure about a number of the things that may happen to me in Jerusalem. But this I am certain about. God's told me to go. I'm certain about this, although I'm unsure on all the details. And Paul exampled that in here in Acts 20, 22. Maybe that's a bit more of a sober message to start the new year. But I want to just encourage you to say, as you and your families 
look forward to a new year and an array of issues of which we may be unsure, be certain of this. Jesus is a good shepherd. He is a good shepherd. And he leads and he guides his sheep into good pastures. And at times, that may take us to the valley of the shadow of death. But we know that we will fear no evil. For his rod and his staff, they comfort and they guide me. And as we appreciate the fact that there can be things we're absolutely certain about and things that we are unsure, we lean into those things by appropriating an attitude of advancement by believing the best is yet to come, by saying, Lord, I cooperate with the process and I'll discern distractions along the way because there are some things I'm not, I don't fully know, but there are some things of which I'm sure. I'm sure that God is a good shepherd and that his goodness and his mercy will follow me and will go ahead of me all the days of my life. And so even when I'm unsure, I will move forward because he always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Two questions for you today. Two questions for you at home, just to reflect and have an opportunity to do some business with God. All right? Well, if you want to close your eyes, let's just give ourselves a chance to hear God this morning. What is something as you look into this new year, something that you are unsure about. I'm really not sure about this. Now, what is something that you are absolutely certain about? But God, I know that I know, I know that I know. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would ground our hearts today in the certainties of the truths that we know. For some of us, even now, things that we learnt 20 years ago, that we still today can say, I know that's still to be true. I thank you for anchoring and grounding our hearts in truth. And I thank you for the faith today to trust you as we lean in to those things of which we are not that clear. And today I give my heart permission to say that's okay because that is the life of faith. And this morning, as I look forward to this year, I move confidently with what I know. You have gone ahead of me. You've prepared the way. And I commit my future into your hands. And we say, Amen. Amen. Faithful you are. Faithful forever you will be. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us at home this morning. Have a fantastic new year. We'll be back here again next Sunday, same time, same Facebook channel. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au and of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.